Well, we're going through uh, Jesus in all scripture. And uh, just before I get started, thank you guys for that, for the prayer. And then just getting to sing along with you guys uh, just melts my heart. I love it. And I love you guys. Um, Man, I don't know if I want to. Where I want to start, but we got back from Acts 29 West Conference this week, um, and we had an awesome time, and there's so many things that we all took away, and it was nice to hear from Chris and Maria what they took away from it, get to hear from my wife, to hear from Kara, to hear from Paige, all from what we got out of this uh, conference um, about church planning and for pastors, and we just had a good time, and we got to spend some good time together, have dinners together. Um, I don't know if we ever had breakfast together. I don't think so. <laughs> but it was terrible timing. Yeah. It was because it, we had daylight savings Saturday night, and then we traveled back in time an hour. <laughs> so I was up at 4.30 every morning. Yeah. I was up at 4.30, and I'm like, oh, man, old time at 6.30. And then I was in, like, we'd go to dinner and get back. And Jess and I would be in our room, and I'd be passed out already on the bed where she's still up watching TV at like 8 o'clock. So <laughs> it wrecked me, but I think I'm, I'm back on a regular schedule now. Um, but it was really good. And, and like I said, got to spend some good t- time together as a leadership team. And next year, I want to open it up to more people to go. I think uh, so many of us here could benefit from it. And it wasn't as much for just the church leaders as it was for the whole church as well. I, I took a lot. Uh, that there were a lot of non-leader type people there, huh? Any and all yeah, any and, any and all volunteers. Yeah, it was it was really good. So, um, but this week, Jesus in all Scripture, First Samuel eighteen one through four. Um, we're gonna talk about Jonathan and how he points to Jesus, and in in that Jonathan, he was David's friend. So we're gonna start off talking about friendship. And so I have a friend. He was there. Um, Chris got to meet him today. I call him John from Hawaii. My wife got to meet him. But we met back in one of the Acts 29 cohorts back in May when the church sent me to Denver. So John from Hawaii. He's, when I, my first impression when I met this guy, um, I remember I walk into the front room, and he's like the first guy there. And to me, I don't know about you guys that just got to meet him, he was a little intimidating looking. He just, like I remember walking in, and he's just sitting on the couch, like just kind of glaring and not saying anything to anybody. Everybody's kind of interacting, and he's just sitting there, just kind of like tired, grunt, looked grumpy, and I was like, mm, man, I don't know about this guy. Um, so I didn't right away introduce myself to him, um, and like I said, because he was kind of intimidating, but found out later that he just flew in from Hawaii. He was tired, and so he was there with a bunch of guys that he didn't know. Uh, not the most ideal situation for some. They don't strive off of that kind of crap like I do. Um, but he was just feeling tired. But we went, as time went on, uh, we'd walk everywhere when we went to Denver. And the first walk, I found myself like kind of walking alone because I, I wasn't, uh, they were talking about eschatology and this and that. And I'm like, what are you guys even talking about? <laughs> Using big words. And John, John and I found ourselves walking with each other. And we get talking and uh, he, he lets me, he, we start talking about jujitsu. 
And I tell him, yeah, I tried to be an MMA fighter at one point. It didn't go very well. I do, I do practice a little bit of jujitsu. And uh, he's like, well, I found, a, I found a jujitsu gym. Let's go tonight. I'm like, oh, all right, let's do it. So we went, we rolled. They call it rolling. It's like wrestling around. And it's just funny how like that kind of stuff like immediately had like a brotherly bond with him. And it felt nice because we're wrestling, rolling around. And the, and the rest of that trip, like we were inseparable childhood friends. We, we hung out the whole time together. We'd sit by each other at dinner, wake up, have breakfast together. And we just like had this friendship that Im- immediately formed. And so that's, it got me thinking about this, this friendship that Jonathan and David had. And before I get into theirs and, you know, what happened there, I went down a rabbit hole of Google and Googled friendship. And so we have different types of friends. Uh, maybe you guys can relate. Maybe we have work friends. We have church friends. We have friends from high school. We have friends we had in college. We had friends that we were friends with when we worked over here. We have friends at the grocery store. We have that friend that we see every Monday morning at the gas station. And we have all these different kinds of friendships. And the list could go on and on and on. And we have different levels of friendship. You know, different levels of friendship that we only share certain parts of our lives with. Close friends. Friends that we know we can share everything with, and it's private, and it's confident, and it's safe, and they're our close friends. Then we have those friends that we know we can't tell crap because they're going to tell all the other friends, <laughs> right? So we have all these different types of friends, and then I even, you know, on the Google machine, this is where I got down uh, the, uh, the rabbit hole of friendship. So I, I just type in friendship. And it gives me this generic uh, uh, response. And then under there, it has like suggestions. You guys see on Google when it gives you suggestions. And one, the first suggestion on the top is, what is true friendship? Now, in my head, when I read all these, I imagine like a 15-year-old girl like spouted these out and wrote these. So, so I'm going to do my best 15-year-old girl impression. <laughs> so, no, here's true. This is what, what, what is true friendship? <laughs> I, that wasn't it. No, a, a true friend is someone who has your back. So I'm not really going to do the impression, but just picture that 15-year-old girl. A true friend is someone who has your back when things are going very wrong in your life. A true friend is someone who keeps their promises and makes you want to keep yours too. A true friend is someone who neither leads nor follows but walks with you. You'll know when you find them. So that's true friendship. So what is, what, like, then the next question is, what is called friendship? Friendship means familiar and liking of each other's mind. People who are friends talk to each other and spend time with each other. First of all, I don't talk to my friends that much and spend a lot of time with them. John, and he's in Hawaii. We talk like once a month, but we might be true friends. <laughs> so... <laughs> they also help each other when they are in trouble or hurt. The strength of the bond of friendship between two people can vary. If the bond is very strong, they are called best friends. <laughs> the, last, the last one I'm going to talk about is what is strong friendship? Being able to have trust and confidence in your friend is one of the most important requirements of a strong relationship because true friendship 
means that you're able to count on one another. Part of caring for a friend is honoring what they tell you, no matter the significance, with confidentiality and respect. That's what friendship is to Google and whatever, whoever put those in Wikipedia. You guys ever hear my cup whistle when I take a drink? <laughs> I just thought of that because it whistles all the time when I take a drink of coffee and the mic's like right there by it. Um, <laughs> but let's, uh, I totally forgot to bring my Bible up here. I guess I'll use my Bible app on my phone. So we're going to take a look again at 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4. And it's the beginning of a new found friendship. Um, now, I don't know about you guys, but there's a movie out there. Oh, you're the bomb. Thanks, Dave. Now i got to find it. Have you guys ever seen the movie Step Brothers? <laughs> Not the most appropriate show. Um, I didn't realize how inappropriate the scene was until I was like, oh, maybe I could use the clip for church, but it is very inappropriate. <laughs> but they have a moment. It's Will Ferrell and uh, John C. Riley. They have a moment in the movie where they become best friends. They realize they have all the same interests, and they're looking at each other, and they just yell out, did we just become best friends? And they, yeah, yeah, yep. And then he says, do you want to go practice karate in the garage? And they take off running. So we have in 1 Samuel 18, 1 and 4, like that did we just become best friends moment. So let's read it again. And as soon as, Suze, it says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. So here we have the best friend moment where we get to see that moment like in Step Brothers where they say, did we just become best friends? And they're knit together, it says. Their souls are knit together and they got this love and bond like no, nothing else. So w before we get into like what caused that, like let's, let's see what brings us to the point of David and Jonathan becoming best friends. So who is Jonathan. The first mention is in uh, 1 Samuel 13, 2, and late in the same chapter, he's referred to as King Saul's son. His very name, Jonathan, means God-given, a God-given friend to David. And God gave him this uh, friend in, in mercy and grace. And then we go on uh, to where... Like, in, in my, it, it doesn't say, but in my opinion, Jonathan had to know what happened, the events that took place in the defeat of Goliath. You know, one of the most known stories of the Bible about David and Goliath, the Philistine army comes and gathers across from the Israelites ready for battle. And there's this champion, the Goliath, somewhere between seven and nine feet tall. And I thought, of, like, as I was preparing for the sermon, we just hired a new guy at work. And the dude's 6'7", and like 300 and something pounds. I'm like, holy, that guy's a giant. Like I walk in, and the other guy that we have is working for us is 6'2", and he towers over me. And I walk in the shop one day, and he's bending over talking to the guy that's 6'2", and I'm like, 
holy cow, this guy is huge. And he's 6'7". He's not even 7 feet. When, when Goliath was 7 to 9 feet tall, he was a big dude. He was very big, very strong. His armor alone weighed 125 pounds in that area. And he carried this giant spear, and he was just a giant. He was a big dude. And no one dares face him. And David comes to see what's going on and tells King Saul, your servant will go and fight the Philistine. And King Saul tells him, you're not able to. And in 1 Samuel 17, 37, if you're there in your Bible, you can go back a little bit. And it says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. He's like, yo, I've been out in the field with the bears and the lions and God gave me the power to defeat them. This guy stands nothing. Them, them bears or lions are way more scary than this guy. So he goes, and King Saul gives him his armor, plops it on him. I imagine it'd be like, like the picture I get is like if I took some of my clothes and put them on Rome and put a helmet on Rome, and he was just flopping around in this giant armor. You know, he, he clothes him in this armor, and David says, I can't wear this. I can't wear all this crap. And he goes out to face Goliath. He takes it off, and he goes out to face Goliath. And he says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And this moment here in David's response, like if it was a movie, I picture it would be like Brad Pitt playing David and gives this monologue. He says, you come to me with sword and with a spear and with a javelin. This is me being a movie, Brad Pitt. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth and all that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And like, as, as David's sitting there, like I picture him like getting warmed up. Like, oh man, let's get this thing going here, giving his speech. Let's do a little bit of do some arm circles. Let's get a little bit uh, stretching in. Uh, reaches in his little bag and he's swinging his thing around, picking out a stone. He places it in, swinging it around, flings it, boom! And it says he sunk it into his head. Like it wasn't just a, like flung it, hit him in the head, knocked him over, knocked him out. He sunk it into his head. That's some force, man. And then he, then he goes and he kills him and he cuts off his head and he takes it to Jerusalem. He takes it to show that it's God who defeated the, the giant Goliath. And that chapter ends, chapter 17 ends with this. It says, whose son is this? I wish that I had Jesse's son. It says Jesse's son. Did you guys catch that? <laughs> So it's Jesse's son. And he, he asked him, whose son is this? This is Jesse's son. And I, I picture, like, I don't know if Jonathan was there watching all this happen. 
but he had to have heard about it. And like I picture like hearing about that, what David just did. I'm like, man, that guy's awesome. Did you guys hear what he did? That was so cool. Did you see it? You were there? Oh, man, I missed it, but oh, that's so cool. And then when he finally meets him, like they have that did we just become best friends moment where it's like it wasn't even a question of a doubt that they were knit together. They were knit together. Jonathan knew who he was, and he was knit to his soul. He said Jonathan loved him as his own soul. That word was knit. It means to tie physically or mentally to join together. And so here they are, new friends, knit together. Oh, excuse me, Chris. <laughs> and he has a new friend. And he loved him as his own soul. And it just made me think of like, you know, most of the time, okay, I'm 33 years old. When I meet new people, I'm like, I don't need any new friends. Like, does anybody else relate to that? <laughs> I'm such and such age. I don't need any new friends. But it made me think of my new friend, John, and just what a blessing he is and, and the timing of everything. And uh, it was just, oh, hey, his name's John, too. I just realized that. <laughs> but I have this new friend. And so now we have this new friendship between David and Jonathan. And it goes on in verse 2, it says, And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. I just thought, how do you think David felt in that moment? When he gets called in, he just defeated the giant, and Saul's like, nah, you're never going home again. You're staying here with me. So then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. They made this promise as friends. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. He takes his robe. He takes his armor, his sword, his bow, his belt, all these meaningful things, these things that have meaning to him, and he lays them and gives them to David. So the story goes on in 1 Samuel 19, 1 through 6, and we're going to build a little bit on there. What do you got there? Is that... 19? Okay. First <laughs> Samuel 19, 1 through 6. Um, but the story goes on, and we're going to build on their friendship a little bit. So First Samuel 19, 1 through 6 actually starts with, And Saul spoke. Is that what you got up there? Okay. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David, and Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in, in a secret place and hide yourself, and I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. 
So here we have that, that Saul, he, he's not liking what's going on with Jonathan. He is, uh, he's growing jealous, and his anger flares up, and he wants to kill him. And here Jonathan stands in defense and reasons with Saul for David. And he tells him, why, like, why do you want to bring in, like, an innocent man? Why do you want to kill him? You have no reason. Now we're going to jump ahead to 1 Samuel 20, 30 through 33. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. Here again, Jonathan stands as Saul's anger grows and it flares up again. And he calls him this son of a perverse and rebellious woman. And he says, you've chosen Jesse over me. You're going to lose your throne. And he gets so mad. And Jonathan responds, why? Why should he be put to death? What has he done? And Jonathan risks his own life as a spear is hurled at him. Stands in front of an angry Saul and dodges the spear, risking his life for David. We're going to jump a couple more chapters ahead as we build on their relationship. 1 Samuel 23, 15 through 18. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, David, before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Did I skip the whole section? No, we're good. So here we have David out in the wilderness, wandering, running from Saul, and maybe he's feeling a little discouraged. Maybe he's a little downtrodden, and Jonathan comes out and brings a word of encouragement to remind David of the promise that he will be king over Israel. And he tells him, I will be next to you. And they made the covenant, and and David stayed there, and he got a word of encouragement from Jonathan that day. All this, all these instances of, of just building on what their friendship is, We see Jesus in the person of Jonathan. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus that he left his throne. Just as Jonathan came and he gives up his robe, he gives up his sword, he gives up his bow, he gives up his belt, he's laying it all to the side saying, hey, you're the rightful king. 
And what a friend we have in Jesus that he left his riches to come down, that he left his throne to become fully human, fully God, left his spot at the right hand of the Father. And there's an old song. It's, it's not old. It's 10 years old. It's a worship song that uh, I like. I don't know if anybody's here, heard of it. It's called Shining Star by the Wren Collective Experiment. And, and this laying down of his throne made me think of the lyrics to the first verse. It said, angels watched in mystery as you took off your glory. Instead, you put on him, human skin to reconcile all things. You stepped into the darkest night to blaze the skies with heaven's sight. We all matter. We are loved. Your heart beats strong for us. What a picture of love. And the hands, the, 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 the hands that crafted the world and the stars and everything in it left his place on high. Gave up his throne, laying his crown down to step down here. What a friend we have in Jesus. If you pull up 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, might, so, so that you by his poverty, might become rich. Which one's that? Wrong one. Though he was rich, became poor for your sake. The next one, what a friend we have in Jesus that he intercedes on our behalf. Just as Jonathan stood and interceded for David, interceded? Okay, it sounded weird. For David to King Saul, Jesus stands in intercession for us. Hebrews 7, 23 through 25. You got it up there? Though maybe I have them out of order. Hebrews 7. Got it? The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he lives or continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the utter, uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for, them, for him. So the old priests, they die, but Jesus is alive and he still stands in intercession for us. Romans eight thirty three through 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who, is indeed, who indeed is interceding for us. He is interceding for us. What a friend we have in Jesus that he intercedes on our behalf. What a friend we have in Jesus that he laid down his life. Jesus left his throne to stand as the mediator between God and man. The punishment for sin is death. And we had to have a pure and spotless lamb lay down his life. And even like that lamb, that pure and spotless lamb, what a friend that he lays down his life. He calls us his friend. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life down for his friends. What a friend. 
What a friend that he sends help. When David escaped to the wilderness, he learned that he was still being chased. And David is out there. He's tired. He's worn. Here comes Jonathan seeking him out to encourage, exhort him, lift him up, remind him of the promise, bringing some comfort. What a picture. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a picture we have that being there with us every step of the way and bring us encouragement by the helper, the Holy Spirit. That maybe when we feel alone in the wilderness, we're reminded God has not forgotten you. The helper is there. And as I was you know, thinking about what a friend we have in Jesus, I could see how you could go down the road of like, hey, here's four steps to be a good friend. But I want to point everyone here what kind of friend Jesus is. I would say he's a true friend. He's a close friend. He's a best friend. He is the lover of your soul. And he wants you. And the message of Jesus, the message of the gospel is all-inclusive. All-inclusive that those to sub- that submit to who Jesus is, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is exactly who he is. And the gospel transforms. And I love, this is a quote, I don't remember who spoke it. Um, it might have been uh, one of the, uh, what the heck was his name now? I can't think of it. But he said, transformed people transform our communities. Transformed people will transform our communities. That means that we go out as transformed people sharing the gospel. That your heart will break for the lost. That we have a hope only we understand and we want to share that hope. The gospel changes everything because we are the imago Dei, the image bearers. We go out and we spend time with the lost. We go out because the gospel changes everything, and I hope and pray that we never get tired of the gospel. The message of Jesus, because what a friend we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your amazing grace, God. I thank you, God, that you call us your friend. God, and I just pray today, God, that we would go out and share the hope that is found in Jesus and Jesus only. Because what a friend we have in Jesus. That he left his throne. What a friend we have in Jesus that he stands as the mediator between God and man and intercedes for us. What a friend in Jesus that he laid down his own life. What a friend we have in Jesus that we're not alone. That the Holy Spirit is here and he guides us. That we have that helper. Thank you, God, for that. I pray, God, that as transformed people, we would go out and by your spirit, by your power, just as David said, I come in the name of the Lord.
Lord God, we would go out sharing the gospel in the name of the Lord, that it's not by our own will, our own power, God, but it's all you. We lay ourselves down, lay ourselves aside, get out of our comfort zone and go out and be a transformed people that transform our communities, that brings the lost into you, God, not into our kingdom. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I got lost on the stage. <laughs>